Good morning. As I had uh, said in the first service, uh, I really appreciated the selection of songs this morning. As you uh, <clears throat> as you listen to the words, it really conveys the story that we're going to be talking about today uh, and next week. And I was particularly taken uh, by a couple of the lines in the new song that we learned how we're now chasing after God, but it was because he first chased after us. And that's really going to be a theme this morning, how in spite of what we try to do to separate ourselves from God by the things that we do, by the way that we act, um, God continues uh, to chase after us. God continues to make himself available for us to reconcile ourselves with him. This message and the message um, next week will be really a continuation of what Alex has been talking about over uh, the last couple of weeks in his uh, series that we, we called Lost. In that series... We spent most of our time in the early chapter uh, chapters of the book of Genesis, and uh, we learned a little bit about creation, and we learned a lot about God, and we learned a lot about Adam and Eve. God created mankind to fellowship with him. He didn't create us in such a way where we can't do anything but fellowship with him. Otherwise, uh, you know, what good would that be for God? God created us with the ability to make choices. And with this inherent ability to make choices, there must be the opportunity to make the wrong choice. And we know that because when we visit, if we could, the Garden of Eden, we would uh, see in the middle of this beautiful garden this tree. And, uh, you know, think about Adam and Eve for just a moment. They had all this pristine creation around them, and they only had one rule. You know, we look around, we've got rules all over the place. They only had one rule. See the tree in the middle of the garden? No. You can't eat off of that. Do anything else you want. Go anyplace else you want. Stay away from the tree. And we know that uh, Satan, disguised as a serpent, uh, convinced Eve that it would be a good thing to eat from the tree, which she did. She then convinced Adam that it would be a good thing to follow her example and eat off the tree, which he did. And their lives, and subsequently our lives, changed forever. Where before, they were uh, at perfect peace in the garden with each other and with God, all of a sudden, as a result of this 
simple act of transgression, going against the only rule that was in place, their world changed, and from that willful disobedience was erected a barrier between God and man. It's interesting to know that that barrier was built on the man's side, not on the God's side. God did not build the barrier. How did Adam and Eve react after they had eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, all of a sudden, they discovered that they were naked. And not only did they discover that they were naked, but they were ashamed because of that. And I think that Adam and Eve reacted in a way that maybe many of us would have reacted. They did something wrong and said, oh, man, now what? First thing they did was grab what they could grab and made a feeble attempt to cover their nakedness. Shortly thereafter, uh, I like the way Genesis puts it, in the cool of the day, God was coming to the garden and, and they heard God coming and they hid from God. How often when we've done something wrong, when we've wronged somebody, uh, those are the first things, the first couple things that we do. We try to cover it up, pretend that it didn't happen. Uh, even before the crude clothing, as uh, Adam was talking to God, well, she made me do it. We're always trying to transfer the blame of the things that we do uh, on others, and, and this was certainly uh, no exception at all. Um, you know, it's, I think, human nature, thanks to Adam and Eve, that we try to cover up what we do wrong. Sometimes that cover-up means ignoring a situation that we've created. I don't think about it. Maybe it'll go away. Maybe things will just correct themselves. If I don't make this particular phone call, maybe it'll be okay. Um, when, when I was a kid, I used to, this probably tells you a little bit about me, uh, and I will assure you that this, is, this was a dream that I had. This was not reality. Uh, but when I was a kid, over and over again, I would have this dream that I'd get up to go to school and um, have my breakfast and grab my books and head out to the bus and sit down in my seat on the bus to discover that I just had underwear on. I don't know if anybody had ever had that particular dream before. <clears throat> but not only that, but the way I dealt with it, the way that, that I reacted to it was, I hope nobody notices. Have we ever had that response to something that we have done, that we know after we've done it that we shouldn't have done? I hope nobody notices. I think that that's where we find uh, Adam and Eve right now. Well, as, you, as we continue with the story, we find a couple things. Number one, we find that sin has consequence. And in the early verses of chapter 3 of Genesis, God 
describes to Adam and Eve what the consequence of their sin is going to be. You know, so often um, we think that if we apologize, if we say we're sorry for the things that we've done wrong, then the consequences sort of evaporate and we don't have to, to pay the price. Well, in the real world, that's not true. That, uh, you know, when, when you were kids or those of you who have kids, um, when you catch them doing something wrong, what's the first thing they say? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Are you sorry for what you did? Or are you sorry that we caught you doing it? And more times than not, it's the latter. We're sorry that we got caught. Um, and this is the situation I think that Adam and Eve find themselves in. So God was, was stern with them. God said, this is what's going to be the result of your sin. This is how you're going to be punished. But then he continued on um, in Genesis chapter 3. Verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. After there were consequences for his sin, this is our first opportunity to see God chasing after man. God made the first move at reconciliation. Man's sin separated him from God. You don't see Adam and Eve trying to make reconciliation. God, through the seemingly simple act, began to take steps to make reconciliation from his side. He didn't do anything wrong, but he didn't want the relationship between he and his creation to be broken. Well, how did this happen? The Bible tells us he made clothes from skins. They had thrown together just whatever they could grab and God evidently took the life of an animal or two, fashioned clothes out of the skin, and gave them something much, much better than they had. And this is really the Bible's first example of atonement between God and man. These skins, and this is going to be an important concept as we continue on, these skins were the result of a sacrifice. Animals had to sacrifice their lives to, to give the skin to make these clothes for Adam and Eve. And because of this sacrifice, God made for man a covering, if you will, for the sin of Adam. As we walk through the Old Testament, we see many, many examples of sacrifice as an atonement for sin. God already set the example with Adam and Eve. And in the Old Testament, man was to approach God through sacrifice. We skip over now to the 22nd chapter of Genesis, and we see a very different kind of sacrifice. This isn't a sacrifice for wrong done or for sin, but this is a test. Chapter 22 Uh, we find Abraham, who was really at this particular time God's man on earth. Uh, Ultimately, God built his nation, Israel, from the descendants 
of Abraham. Now, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, for many, 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 many decades had been unable to conceive kids. And it was a real problem, particularly with his wife, Sarah. God intervened and uh, as Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old, she conceived and uh, gave birth. And we now find ourselves uh, several years later and setting the scene. We have Abraham talking to God and he's talking then about Isaac, who likely is somewhere in his teen years by now. And a very, very difficult discussion begins to happen. God is testing the faith of Abraham. And through this test, God produces a real example of what he is ultimately going to do to cure the sin problem with us. So in Genesis chapter 22, uh, the, the passages are 1 through 12, but I'm going to read right now verses 2 and 3. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. That is not the conversation that you want to have with anybody. Abraham, this is what I want you to do. I want you to make, in his mind, which you know something that would be the supreme sacrifice. If God had asked Abraham to, set, to, to, to sacrifice himself, I don't think it would have been as big a deal. He asked him to sacrifice his only son who he loved. I know how I would react to that, but how did Abraham react to that? Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey and took with him two of his servants and his son. He heard God I'm certain he didn't understand exactly what all this meant, but he did understand what it was like to be obedient. Something that we tried to instill in our kids when they were young was obedience. They got tired of hearing this phrase. Obedience without hesitation. Hesitating to do something that you're asked to do You're no longer obedient. And so really from the idea of this verse, uh, we learn the value of obedience without hesitation. And this is where we find Abraham. He got up the next morning, loaded everything that he needed, and took off. Now, he was going to Mount Moriah, and not coincidentally, Mount Moriah was a three-day walk. Why do I say not coincidentally? We find throughout the Bible that Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days. We find that Jesus was in the tomb for three days. 
This is no accident that where God asked for the supreme sacrifice to be made was three days away. And as we continue through the story, you'll see the parallels between what Abraham was asked by God to do and ultimately what God chose to do with his own son. They got to where they were going and began to put together the things for the sacrifice. And uh, as you might guess, Isaac was wondering what was going on. He says uh, in verse 7, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Verse 8, Abraham answered him, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Abraham really didn't know what this ultimate sacrifice was going to be. They didn't take a lamb with them. They would have normally taken a lamb for the sacrifice. God will provide the lamb. And we'll see as he provided for Abraham, so he provides for us today. Then the pinnacle of the story. He, in verse 10, has a knife in his hand to slay his son. He doesn't understand it. It doesn't make sense to him. But he heard clearly what God asked him to do. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. God did provide, but not until Abraham was obedient to the point of doing something uh, that for us would be absolutely unthinkable. Again, there's such a parallel between this story and the 22nd chapter of Genesis and the follow-on in the New Testament where God did just this for mankind. As we follow God, sometimes he might ask us to do something that that seems unusual uh, or unnecessary at the time. Uh, I've been there. I know that you've been there as well. But we don't have the same point of view. We don't have the same point of reference that God does. God sees the end from the beginning and things that don't make sense to us in the short term make perfect sense to God. And so we're called to trust in that perfect sense of God to make sure that uh, what we do is, is within his will. Why sacrifice? Couldn't God have chosen another way of allowing for a right relationship with him? Well, I guess he could have, but this was his chosen way. Uh, we'll go next to the book of Leviticus. And in the book of Leviticus, what we have are a whole series of writings that set up the rules and regulations for the Hebrews to follow. Uh, They had not long before been uh, released from their captivity in Egypt. And uh, now God was establishing with them rules 
that would uh, help them get along with each other, rules that would help them get along with him, uh, dietary rules, all sorts of things that were good for them. So uh, that's really what's contained in the book of Leviticus. And in Leviticus 5.10, we read one of the reasons or one of the, uh, the precepts about sacrificing. Leviticus 5.10 tells us, The priest shall then offer as a burnt offering in the prescribed way and make atonement for him for the sin he has committed, and he will be forgiven. The priest will offer for sin a burnt offering in this particular case in the prescribed way. God was very specific in how his sacrifices were to be undertaken. And so he didn't leave mankind wondering, what do I have to do in order to maintain my relationship with God? As we continue through Leviticus, we uh, turn to the 17th chapter uh, of Leviticus and the 11th verse. We've talked now about God specifying sacrifice in the Old Testament in his chosen way for atonement. But now he ties in the idea of blood sacrifices. Leviticus 17:11 tells us for the life of the creature is in the blood. Now, this is written a long, long time ago before uh, we had a lot of scientific facts about the importance of blood. But they knew the life of the creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is in the blood that one makes atonement for one's life. So you see now the connection of not only sacrifice, but blood sacrifice, because our life comes from our blood. A blood sacrifice was often required for the atonement of sin. And this idea carried forward into the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, we read that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Or in the uh, New American Standard, without the, sh- the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. God didn't allow a situation to exist where man could make a, re- a wrong choice, but not still have the ability to reconcile with him. Although the people of the Old Testament didn't know it, their sacrificial system would form a model of what was to come. We continue on in the Old Testament to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was God's prophet to the land of Judah, the kingdom of Judah, about 750 years before uh, Jesus was born. And in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, we get yet another glimpse of what God's ultimate plan for the salvation the permanent salvation of mankind is. In the uh, verses 4 through 6, we read, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we were healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. God allowed the prophet Isaiah to see beyond the sacrificial system which they were under. He allowed Isaiah to see and to tell the people that there's coming somebody who will bear for us all of our iniquity, all of the things that we've done wrong, all of our sins. And in the earlier verses, he goes into a great description of what's going to happen. Isaiah begins to talk about crucifixion that hasn't even been invented yet. He will be pierced for us. And so these few verses in Isaiah are um, really pointing us uh, to an understanding of God's plan to complete the sacrificial system. There's a problem, as you can probably see, with the sacrificial system in that it happens over and over and over again. Every year, every year, um, the high priest would be required to enter the temple, but not only enter the temple, enter a special place in the temple called the Holy of Holies. And in that place in the temple, he was to offer a sacrifice for the entire nation. Each year, he did it. The next year, it had to happen again. The next year, it had to happen again, and so on and so forth for uh, literally millennia. That's really what happened. It, in thinking about this, it caused me to think about uh, a figure in Greek, uh, Greek mythology called Sisyphus. Anybody knows who Sisyphus is? He was uh, in mythology kind of a big shot for a while and well, sort of got too big for his mythological britches and uh, got crossways with somebody who shouldn't have gotten crossways with, and that was Zeus. And as punishment for his transgression, Sisyphus was condemned to roll a stone, a huge stone, up a hill. He'd roll it, as you see in the, the depiction, he rolls it, rolls it, but it gets almost to the top each time the stone rolls back down again. And part of Sisyphus' condemnation was when it rolled back down, he had to start pushing it up again. Well, isn't that like the sacrificial system that we were talking about right now? Whatever you did, over and over and over again, you knew it had to be repeated. Now the good news. God's plan all along was to send Jesus on earth or to earth to be just like us. This is called his incarnation. That term incarnation literally means to be made flesh. With that incarnation comes what Alex had actually started to talk about last week, and it's something that we call the gospel of grace. As he talked last week, grace was defined as unmerited favor. 
Getting something that we didn't earn, that we don't deserve. That is grace. That's unmerited favor. Jesus left heaven to become one of us. Nathan told me an interesting story uh, after Vantage Point on uh, Wednesday that really applies to this. There's a, a guy standing observing in the middle of a storm, bird after bird after bird is crashing into the window, and he's calling out and he's trying to warn them, but it doesn't make any sense. They continue to do the same thing. And he's confronted by somebody who, you know, you know, why are you doing this? And his first thought was, if I was only a bird, then perhaps I could get the message to them so they didn't continue to do this. This is what God did for us. This is what the incarnation was. This is why Jesus, who's still God, became one of us. He was tempted as we are, but he never failed. He never sinned. Um, But it doesn't stop there. God chose as his ultimate solution for the barrier that exists between us and him, the barrier that we established, that we built because of our sin, God shows as the ultimate final sacrifice to give his son for us. I'm going to show you a clip in just a second. And in this clip, uh, you'll see um, a very poignant picture of uh, a father and a son in a very difficult decision that he has to make. The bridge operator had a very, very difficult decision to make. It was obvious that he really loved his son, but he saw what was going on, and I, and I, I couldn't help but uh, be really captured by the two different views that you see in the film clip. You see the father in his agony, knowing what he had to do in order to save the lives of those on the train. And you see those on the train who were just oblivious to what was going on, had no idea what a sacrifice had just been made for them. And I can't help but think God felt a lot the same way as he chose this method in order to reconcile his creation with him. Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 through 8, tell us a bit about Jesus. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Here's that word obedience again. Jesus knew what was coming, but he trusted and did what he needed to do. Jesus died for us to replace the futility 
of always and unsuccessfully trying to earn our salvation. My heart breaks when I think of the religions in the world where salvation is based on what we do. Have I done enough? Have I been in the right places? When that day of judgment comes, am I going to be able to stand there? Biblical salvation comes only through Jesus' substitutionary death for us and his resurrection. What an amazing price for God to have paid, just as the bridge operator paid an amazing price to save those folks on the train. But it's free for us. This is grace, getting something that we didn't deserve and that we haven't earned. Jesus' final words on the cross in Aramaic, to telestai, translated, mean it is finished, but also mean the bill has been paid. There's no more debt. In 1830, George Wilson was convicted of robbing the U.S. mail and was sentenced to be hanged. President Andrew Johnson issued a pardon for Wilson, but he refused to accept it. The matter went to Chief Justice Marshall, who concluded that Wilson would have to be executed. A pardon is just a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. Jesus has made, God has made, the offer of his son, his death and his resurrection for our salvation so that we don't have to wonder, we don't have to worry about what will happen to us in eternity. In your program, there are going to be a few next steps that you can take a look at. But just think about that. In order for a pardon to work, it has to be accepted. Pray with me. Father, thanks so much for this ultimate sacrifice that that you gave. Thank you for having Jesus become one of us, become like us. Thank you for his perfect life. Thank you for his willingness to subject himself to arrest and to trial and to punishment, ultimately to death. And Father, thank you for giving him the power to raise himself from the dead so that through his sacrifice, we might be with you eternity, in, for eternity, if we only accept it. In your name we pray. Amen.